You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, we're looking at the prize of inner freedom today. Hopefully that work has already been started this morning, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it and see if we can bring it to a climax here at the end. We've, we're looking at this series on the victor and the prize, and do you realize it's, it's been three weeks since Resurrection Sunday? I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just going so fast. And it's like, wow, this is... And, and one of the things that I've, I've, I've been repeating over and over and over, and I know you're going to get tired of hearing it, but I, I'm always intrigued at how much more the disciples would have paid attention after Jesus was raised from the dead than all the times that he did the miracles and he, and he, he did the teachings and, and they, they realized that he was the Messiah. They left their family. They left their houses. They left their, their fishing and their tax collecting and they followed him. And, and now that huge turn from emotionally thinking that it was all for naught to now seeing the, the risen Lord and meeting with him just so amazing. So we started with the ladies, and the, and the ladies, you know, they're coming to the tomb, and the stones rolled away, and the angels uh, are there and, and give them the message that he's not here, he's risen. And uh, then you got Mary actually holding the feet of Jesus and, and thinking he was the gardener, and, and then realizes when he says Mary, and all of a sudden she realized this is Jesus. And so we've got that incredible experience. So the ladies go back and tell the disciples. And can you imagine the emotional ones, the females, not the males, the females, seeing Jesus, trying to communicate to these males that Jesus is resurrected. And I, I almost get a picture of, you know, kind of the commercial of Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, you know, that, that they're just bouncing around and they're, they're just, they can't even find the words to express the joy and exhilaration. But then they don't, nobody believes their story. And the disciples don't believe them. So Peter and John run off and they check it out and they don't know what to make of it because his body's not there and the, the stones rolled away. Everything that the, that the women told them was true except they haven't seen Jesus so they, they don't know what to think about that. Then the two are off to the road to Emmaus and Jesus comes along and, and he goes for a walk with them and he, he starts to explain you know, all the, the prophetic uh, prophecies about the Messiah and how he would die and rise on the third day. And, and as, as they're talking from Moses on, and as he explains and pours out all of this kind of stuff, you know, they still don't recognize him until he breaks the bread and offers, and then they realize it was Jesus, and poof, he's gone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm kind of looking forward to the poof days. Our glorified body poofing, uh, and we can just poof here and poof there, and that would be pretty amazing. So here's Jesus. He comes in. Everybody's together. They're still, they're still afraid. The disciples have assembled, 
and Jesus appears. And of course, he always says, peace, don't be afraid. As they are so afraid. But even then, they, they can't believe it. You know, we, we, we talked a little bit last week about, you know, when, when your mind tells you, and, and it's there, that if someone dies, they're dead, and then you see them alive again, and you see it right there before you, but you know that that can't happen, that what you see, you're doing all this inner conflict and trying to figure out, and it says they still didn't believe and it's like, what? How can you see Jesus and still not believe? Well, because mentally we, we, can't, we can't deal with that. That's how radical the resurrection of Jesus Christ is. It's so radical, it blows our reason to smithereens. It just blows our minds. And so there he is. Now the disciples are starting to embrace the fact because Jesus showed up had a little bite to eat, a little fish, walks through the wall, comes back, uh, all the dynamic that's going on there. And, and so they're having that. But there's one person that's not there. Tommy. Thomas. Now, in grade school, we had Tommy O'Toole, who was always late. And it was all about telling time. And I'm thinking, oh, man, did they get that from the Bible? <laughs> Thomas isn't there. He's not the train. He's, he's the guy, Thomas the disciple, and he's not there. And now here's, here's Thomas's predicament. It's, it's been eight days since Jesus has risen from the dead and he's appeared to the disciples and he's hearing all of them do all their talk. The ladies talking up. Everybody's talking about the resurrected Jesus and their, and, and their lives are just trying to figure out how do you, how do you make sense of all that is, that is transpired. And they're trying to synthesize all of this. And there's Thomas. Where does Thomas go? What's he do? In some ways, Thomas kind of represents our skepticism of, of this age. You know, just don't believe. If, if I don't see it and it's not scientifically, if we don't have empirical data, if we can't, you know, touch it, see it, know it, I'm not going to believe it. And so what's he going to do? The Romans are out looking for the disciples so he really can't take off. If he stays with the disciples, he's got to process, what does this mean? Does this mean that Jesus loves all the other disciples more than he loves me? Because he came and, sh and appeared when they were assembled, but he hasn't showed himself to me? Uh, am I kind of in the same camp as Judas? You know, I'm a disciple, but I'm not going to be included in this next thing that's going to happen. Fill in exclusion. Or is he thinking, you know, I've been with these guys three years and they are totally whacked out. <laughs> They're nuts. They're absolutely bananas. They're not thinking correctly. Uh, they think that somebody was resurrected from the dead. You know, they've got their hopes so much pinned up on Jesus as the Messiah that they're, that they're fooling themselves with some Jedi mind tricks. And they're, and they're just trying to figure out what's, what's going on. 
So there he is. He makes the statement. He's not going to believe. There's no way he's going to believe. And I, I would think all the disciples would understand that because when Jesus appeared, they had trouble believing when, when he was right there. So I think they, they kind of understood where he was. And there, now they're all gathered. Thomas's presence is present with them. And Jesus appears. Is that cool? Let, let's look at the text. John chapter 20, verse 25. <clears throat> so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hand, hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out and put your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Wow. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Oh Lord, give us understanding today of your word. Help us to allow the good news of Jesus, the resurrected Lord, to permeate every fiber of our being. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Have mercy mm-hmm. on us. Mm-hmm. So I won't believe it unless I see it. Mm. Yeah. And Jesus appears. Wow. Oh, yeah. Now, can you imagine what it was like to be one of the other disciples? I mean, I get giddy when we're going to have a surprise birthday party. Gloria's 30th birthday party was recent. <laughs> and and we were all we were all hidden and ready for her to come in and when she comes in Cassie had a perfect plan and Ken and all this kind of stuff and I'm just giddy inside. I can't wait till she sees what we know. She doesn't know what we know. And I can't wait till she comes in and she gets to see and experience what we all know is going getting ready to happen. And and you feel it build, don't you? You know, as soon as they, oh, they're in the, the, the car just pulled up. Okay, and man, it goes up to another level. And, and then as she comes in the door, it goes up to another level. As she enters into the living room, it's going up. Cassie's playing cool, calm, and collected. We come all the way. Boom! The unveiling. Now, I, I was putting myself in the disciples, and I said, what was it like when Thomas got whacked? I mean, with the revelation that Jesus is alive. He's already said, you guys, no, it's not, doesn't believe it. So he's already there. He's not buying any of it. And then everybody knows something that Thomas doesn't know. And so now (laughs) Jesus appears. Man. Can you imagine what that would be like? I would be trying to position myself so I could see Thomas's face. Because it's like, here comes Jesus. All of them know it. They see him. Thomas has got his back to him. Okay? 
And then Thomas raises his head and he sees everybody focused on Jesus. And they're all smiling. Can you imagine that? It's like, I can't wait till he turns and sees who's in the room. And so Thomas finally turns and is totally filleted. <laughs> he is cut to the core. Oh, he doesn't know how. He doesn't understand it. I mean, can you imagine the paradigm shift of having to have everything visually and physically verified and now all of a sudden you have the greatest miracle of all happening and it's right there and you're seeing Jesus alive and he's still got the nail prints. He's got the spear print in his side and it's Jesus and he shows up and Thomas is absolutely filleted. I love it. I love it. I just think it's so much fun. You know, that's kind of what happens when the kingdom apprehends someone. Being around so many different believers at so many different levels, and they believe this, but they don't believe that, and they believe this, and they don't believe that, and they believe this, and they don't believe that. And then all of a sudden, God shows up, and the very thing that they were certain wasn't a part of Christianity, all of a sudden gets included because God shows up. Hmm. Spiritual gifts. I mean, if, if, you, if you just go down through the things, all the different things that, that we... Look at your own life. Your own historical walk with Jesus. Do you believe more things now than you did when you first got saved? Was, was, was there any radical change when you were walking with Jesus? And I mean... I thought having my sins forgiven was just a pretty good deal. I thought that was pretty amazing. I was, I was in tears. I was bawling just to think that he forgave me. And I felt so squeaky clean. That was just amazing. I was just, I was totally satisfied with that. And then he started to continue to reveal even more. Hmm. And you find that there's, there's not only the forgiveness of our sins, but there's a continuation as we, as we continue in our relationship with Jesus that there's a next and a next and a next and a next. And all of a sudden we realize, man, this is really quite expansive. I had no idea that when I asked Jesus to forgive my sins, I was going to get this understanding and this revelation and this understanding and this revelation. It's like, whoa. Didn't know it went that far. Didn't know it could go so far as to really change who I am. Or at least who I thought I was. Because it's only in relationship with him that our true identity starts to become revealed. And as we start to see that, we get to embrace more and more who we are. Do you realize that a lot of our identity is, is really founded in the enemy's ability to use our circumstances and those pronouncements, those curses almost, those verbal things that were said over us that almost locked us in and brought a, a relational, emotional, mental imprisonment. And all of a sudden now we never saw ourselves 
beyond just this restricted, limited domain. That's all we are. Just ask yourself this question. Who am I? I am, and just think what, what pops up. What does your heart tell you that you are? I'm not looking for Sockham answers. I'm, I'm looking for what is it that my heart tells me that I am? I'm a bald-headed dude. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What, what's your heart say? I'm overweight. I'm dumb. I'm never going to get it. The best I could ever hope for is maybe someday to reach poverty level. No. Maybe someday I'll be able to... All those things, all those things that define us, that, that we tell ourselves, most of those are, are birthed in circumstances and in verbal pronouncements that people in authority, oftentimes our parents, but our school teachers, uh, employers, bosses, business, they pronounce over us. And in that moment of, of being susceptible to that kind of impression, it takes an imprint in our soul and causes us to believe that's who we are. And all of a sudden, life has just become really, 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 really restrictive. Now, for several weeks, we've been really challenging that. And I realize that for me, most of my problems comes with what I think is true about me up here. Somehow my heart has connected with the Lord in such a way that in my heart, I've got, I've got some really huge faith. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. I, I'm his son. Yeah, I'm his favorite. But you know, and, and you get this in the heart, but in the head, all of a sudden I find out what I believe is true about me up here all of a sudden starts to restrict what I believe is true about me down here. And it's like, really? How do I get to where what is down here becomes the true identity and things start to transform up here. I think that's what Paul was talking about in in Romans 12 when he said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. (sighs) Made holy. Hmm. By the transforming, the renewing of your mind. Our brains are powerful. Extremely powerful. And what we think is true oftentimes is our truth. It may not be his truth, but it is our truth. Because it becomes then the containment arena by which we now have to function under. So we find Thomas, and he, his, his truth is that if he can't see it, if he can't measure it, if he can't touch it, if he can't smell it, you know, if it's not verifiable, it's not real. It's not true. So he wasn't free. And I think the things that, that the Holy Spirit wants to explore today is how free are we? And where is it that he's pursuing a new level of freedom in our lives And I think for many of us, it's going to be kind of in the mental. It's going to be in what we think and how we've restricted who we truly are. Some of us, it's going to be a heart thing. 
Because in our heart of hearts, we really don't know that we're loved by God. We don't know how madly in love, head over hills, he feels about us. You haven't got the revelation of Zephaniah 3. You haven't really believed it. You haven't really believed that the very things that he said to Jesus, he's saying to you, you're my son, you're my daughter, whom I love. And with you, I'm well pleased. And because we haven't been able to believe that, the enemy's got all the different places where we failed, where we've uh, messed up, where we've really made horrible decisions, did horrible things. And there's still those wounds in our hearts that he's using to make us feel like we're disqualified. We're a stepchild. We're we're not really loved by God. (laughs) Putty put it this way. Um, I've heard him say this at the conference, and he said it in the school things. He says, it's like the Father has to love us because we're, we're best friends with Jesus, his son. You know, he really doesn't like us. It's kind of like, you know, when your kids go to school and then they come home, they, they start making friends, and all of a sudden you realize this friend's not a good friend for your kid, and you don't want... And they, and they come over, and it's like... And some of us believe that that's how the Father looks at us. You know, he's got to love us because we asked Jesus to forgive us and therefore we're now in the family and we're saved. And, but he's, he's really disgusted with us because we keep screwing up. We keep saying the wrong things. We keep doing the wrong things. We keep coming up short of whatever it is we think God's child's supposed to look like. Now, if you look in your families, especially your large families, Anybody have more than six brothers and sisters in your family that you grew up in? Mm-hmm. So, so some of you had. And, and when, you, when you start getting that range of children, you get every kind of temperament, makeup. You get the strong-willed child. You get the compliant child. You get everything in between. You get all these different things. And they're all the same they, they have the same parents, They're, they have the father and the mother, and yet all these different varied expressions of children. And we know that the one that, that the father really loves is the one that's most like us. Boy, that went over. <laughs> you guys don't know what it's like to have a bunch of brothers and sisters, do you? only children. <laughs> it's, it's like, when, when you have a healthy father and mother, they love all the kids. There's, there's no favorite. They love all the kids. There are kids that have more favor, but they're not a favorite in the sense of partiality has been shown. But there is different favor on different kids from mom and dad because of the favor that they've, that they've lived and earned, how they've lived. But they're all loved the same. And so it is with the Father. He loves us all the same. There's, there's no difference in that. But because, you know, Sheila made straight A's and has been on the honor roll and was valedictorian, you know, of course mom and dad love Sheila more than me. 
because, you know, I struggled to make C's. That becomes a paradigm where the evil one can start to control and contain and limit and restrict the mental, emotional freedom of who you are as a son and daughter of the Most High. And now all of a sudden you're starting to agree with the evil one who whispers in, you're substandard. You'll never take the supreme place of love in anybody's heart. You're damaged goods. You're, you're never going to achieve. And it's just a lie. But those are some of the lies that we have. We, we can't understand, you know, the lack of freedom for those that are incarcerated, those that have actual cells. They live in, in a property that's got razor wire all around it, and they're there to be punished or to be reformed. Um, those kind of things. We, we, we kind of understand that kind of loss of freedom. We, we, even though we haven't experienced it in our country, you know, the loss of freedom politically uh, by another power, another uh, enemy that comes and takes over. And it's like, yeah, I've, I've just seen it in movies. You know, I see when the empire strikes back and you know, I know the oppression of the dark side. There's a lot that we've, we haven't really seen, and therefore a lot of us automatically assume that because we're in America, we're free, <coughs> that we have freedom. But there's other kinds of, of ways in which we don't have freedom other than just not being in a, in a cell, not being... Like, what, are the, what are some of the ways in which people's mobility people's freedom gets taken from them. I was thinking about that. You, know, you, you think of the imagery of, of what is it that, you know, in the physical realm, we think of cells, we think of chains, uh, we think of shackles, uh, the old ball and chain. Oh, man, you know, now you got this huge ball. You know, if you can move it, you can have greater mobility, but you got to pull that thing everywhere you go. To me, I, I think the ball and chain is probably one of the metaphors that I see more that applies to us as believers. Because, you know, most of us have, have, have come out of some, some level of darkness, but we got this ball and chain that the enemy constantly is reminding us of, of our sins of the past, our failures, uh, the things that have been pronounced, all those things that, that just, and so we can move, so we feel like we can sing the songs and, and, and we got the language, but we don't have the reality of the level of mobility and freedom that the Lord wants us to know. Freedom from the body, freedom of the heart and mind. Thomas was chained to a, almost a freedom of empirical data. He, he had a skepticism that he, that he couldn't get free of. Paul writes to the church of Galatia in, in chapter 5, verse 1, he said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Right on. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Uh -huh. 
Anytime you have a breakthrough moment with the Lord, the enemy is going to be there as quickly as possible to do as much damage control as he can. Because every time you bust into a new understanding and a new revelation of who God is and then who you are as a result of that, and you understand how much he loves you and all that, he has to bring something immediately to try to uh, contain that so it doesn't get loose. That's why for all of us that, that have gone to the conference, there has been one major offensive from the kingdom of darkness to try to bring as much containment of the, of the truth, the reality, of the liberty, the freedom that was experienced to try to contain it because if it gets out, it's going to do damage to his kingdom. We're going to understand who we truly are and as a result of that, we're going to live a different way and we're going to have more effect and more influence on our brothers and sisters and upon the lost upon our community. And so anytime you have breakthrough, you get revelation, you see something, wow, the enemy is going to try to contain that as quickly as possible. That doesn't mean we have to focus on the enemy, but this morning I've just been so mindful of how much he's just trying to affect attitude and perception and everything. It's just like, First thing that happened, my heart sank. I thought, oh. oh. And then this isn't going right, and this isn't going right. No. And it's like, we must be on to something. It's one of the great ways to know that you're really heading in the right direction is how much pushback you get. And it's not just to feed that rebellious spirit <laughs> that resides in some of us. No, no, no. It's, it's as we're seeking the fall of the Lord, and all, now it's usually from good people that you get the pushback. And you start getting that resistance, that pushback from good people, you know, must be on the right spot. Must be heading in the... This vector is set. Let's continue to pursue it. So I find that when there's uh, doubt... Yeah, we're free to doubt. I find that when there is a, a real legitimate doubt, that's good. If you pursue the things that you doubt, you will come into truth. I believe it every time. How many people went out to prove that this isn't true, and in the process, they encountered Jesus, and they found out, oh, I was mistaken. I had some, <laughs> some Free Methodist pastors that went to a John Wimber meeting because they, they wanted to prove that what was happening in those meetings with the supernatural what was staged, was emotional. So they went to the meeting. They got the names of some people that got healed, and they went back and checked on them week, month, three months later to find out how their story and, and their heart, they didn't believe it. They didn't believe in healing. They didn't believe in, in, in this kind of manifestation of the presence of the Lord. And so they were really wanting to substantiate that their view was right. But in the process, they found out they were wrong. So now they had to take the data, and if, if, if they were going to be honest with the data, that they were going to have to be, this person 
really got healed. Hmm. Went back to their doctor. It was, it was medically verified, and, and it was there, and, and now they're scratching their heads. What do they do with that? See, authentic doubt is good if you continue to press it, if you persevere until you come to a conclusion. Not a conclusion, the conclusion. <laughs> you, you, you don't take your first, your first prejudice, but you press on and you find out, oh, this is true. This is the real thing. And then you, once you see it, you have an opportunity to believe it. And when you choose to believe it, that's when the Holy Spirit, I believe, seals it in your heart. <coughs> the Holy Spirit's always operative. He's the one that goes before to give you the grace to even consider and to entertain. He's there through the whole process, but it still takes something where you say, I believe. And it's more than just a, an intellectual, I believe. It's a, I believe in my heart of hearts. I, I, I see it in the scripture. I've seen it in this expression. And now I choose to believe it. And when I believe it, I believe that's when the Holy Spirit seals it. And then we can start acting on it. Then we can start ministering it. Third, we're free to live and we're free to love. The power of the resurrection in your life will free you from unbelief. It'll free you from the unbelief of who you truly are. All the lies that the enemy has so strategically worked in your life for decades, you can break. And you can come into the reality of who you truly, truly are. When we first believe, we grow. And then we see more truth. We, we see more of God. We see more of what he's after. Being a minister, I've been a part of so many ministerial associations, and it's, it's so funny how, how different denominations have their own little doctrinal distinctives that they want to promote, but at the same time, they, they have their things that they, they you know, and I, I was surprised to find out that there was a, a stream in the body of Christ that if, uh, if, if, if you talked about healing, they, they got irate. And it was like, really? You get irate about healing? Ah. Oh. I imagine somewhere in their history, there was a great disappointment when they prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed. Just because we pray for somebody and they don't, go, they don't get healed doesn't mean that we stop praying for people to be healed. If, if you pray for someone to receive Jesus and they choose not to receive Jesus, we don't stop sharing the gospel with people. We continue to share the gospel. And so some of the crazy logic and all this, I, I thought, that's really strange. And so, some, you know, they like everything about God. They like healing and all this kind of stuff. But by all means, let's not get messy with the Holy Spirit. You know, let's not get, and, and you know what I'm talking about. It's that tongues dynamic. Let's not get going on that. And so they, they can accept everything, but not that. And it's like, oh man, what happens in that moment is, is that we're creating a, a, a structure that restricts and limits our ability to know 
the fullness of God and really the fullness of who we are. The more we see, the more we have an opportunity to believe. Paul wrote in Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you believe it where? In your heart. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Hmm. So we're free to be loved. And Jesus loves us. No doubt about it. He loves us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Your word tells us that that's what you are. God is love. Tells us that you're light. Tells us that you're spirit. Mm. And so we welcome spirit of the living God right now into this place. I pray for freedom in all the hearts and minds and spirits of your sons and daughters. I pray for freedom among those who have yet to give themselves to you. I pray for freedom from the lies, the darkness, the shame, the self-imposed exiles and imprisonments that we've done to ourselves. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would right now break off everything that we believe (laughs) that's not true. This is a moment for all of us. Because if we've been walking with Jesus for 50 years, 60, 70, 80 years, there's, there's always something that the enemy has, has duped us into believing is true. Mm-hmm. Now as the Holy Spirit brings revelation of those things that are lies, those things that are not true about you, I want you to ask him, what is the truth? If this has been occupying space in my mind and in my heart, and it isn't of you, what have you always intended to be occupying in that space in my mind and in my heart? We've got an exchange program going on this morning. Mm -hmm. we want to exchange all the chains that have bound us for 
for all the truth that wants to set us free. Say freedom, Lord. Freedom reigns in this place. Mm, yes. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to take up your rightful place inside each temple here where your word tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And bring a new liberty, a new freedom. I pray in Jesus' name mm, that chains be broken. Mm. The mental chains, especially the kind that when the prison doors open, we remain in the cell because we don't realize that the doors open. And I pray, Holy Spirit, for everywhere where you've opened a door and yet we've still failed to realize it and we're still sitting in our bunk, I pray today is the the day of release. That we go from that, from being caged, Lord, to being free to soar, free to live, free to be yours. Mm-hmm. Amen. <clears throat> if we could have uh, the students of Kingdom Ministry, if you, if you would just find a place along one of the perimeter walls in the sanctuary. We'll do a a little exercise. I keep getting the students saying, when are we going to do this during church? We want to do this. We want to do this. Today's today's a good day. So just go ahead and find yourself someplace through there. If if you're not up to participating, don't don't feel any pressure. But if if you would, I want to encourage you to. And then I want us to just ask for the Lord to speak to us in a way that we can hear. And oftentimes that <laughs> comes through another person's lips. And so if, if, if you want to hear something from the Lord, you have something that you just want, come and, and, and stand before one of these folks. And I believe these, these folks are armed and dangerous Whoa. for the kingdom of darkness. <clears throat> right now, you can almost feel the demons tremble. Man, they're, they're scared to death. But I believe they have some, some life-giving encouragement for you. So you feel free to, to go to any one of these folks and just let them speak a word of encouragement over you. So Father, thank you for your love. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming. I pray now as, as we celebrate <coughs> the living word <laughs> that you speak in and through us, I pray that your word would be transformative, that it would be healing. 
I pray against anxiety, spirit of fear and anxiety that just jumped on a bunch of people right now. I pray you be broken off in Jesus' name. And I pray, Father, that there would just be a, a instead of a, an anxiety of fear and an and anticipation and an, an enthusiasm and excitement about what you might say to us. And so, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you. Ken, if you'll throw on some uh, instrumental music, feel free to go to someone, go to several. If you don't like the word you get from one, try another. Mm -hmm. But we say thank you, Lord. Thank you that you love us, (laughs) that you died for us, and that you long to encourage us in the fullness of your love. And so I pray for a fresh anointing to fall upon us that we might speak to one another the words of life. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.